Good evening, you're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm tonight's host, Michael Hermes. We're doing things a little bit different tonight. I've been able to convince Rob and Troy that I can have my very own episode so I can talk about a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and that's chess. More specifically, we're going to be talking about the state of chess in 2016 and why I think it's an exciting time for a game that's roughly a thousand years old. As a strategy board and video gaming podcast, I feel there's going to be uh, a large subset of you, the listeners, who have at least a passing interest in chess. And my goal is to encourage that interest and get some more people into the game. I am a chess enthusiast, but I am in, by no means a chess expert. So I've gotten one, uh, and he's agreed to come onto the show. Our guest is a well-known chess YouTuber, a rated FIDE international master, and a lover of the Scandinavian, John Bartholomew. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael, for having me. So I've brought you on so we can talk about several topics, such as how YouTube and streaming have affected the game, um, a little bit about the competitive scene, and some tools and sites that people may not be familiar with um, as ways to get deeper into the game. But first, let's get to know you. Like I said before, you're an FIDE International Master, which we'll talk about later. Uh, But you make your full-time living as a chess professional. Is that right? That's correct. I've been doing chess full-time for about five years now. Okay, and so that comes in the form of either lessons or possibly what you get from YouTube or um, any winnings from tournaments. You do tournament play, uh, I'm assuming? That's right. I do play tournaments, although at the rank I'm at, tournaments are not a primary means of income by any means. Okay. Enter tournaments mainly for fun and just trying to keep myself sharp. But most of my income is from teaching, uh, a little bit from YouTube, lectures, camps, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, so you do, you're based out of the Midwest and you do a lot of coaching, I think, in person. And then also, I imagine Skype and online things have been a real big help with that. Yes. These days I teach almost exclusively online. That's been a change I've made in the last couple of years. I do a bit of in-person teaching at camps and schools, but I'd say 95% of my work is online these days. Okay. And, you know, you've been able to to spin your online presence off into a couple different areas. I think what you're probably most well-known for is your YouTube channel, which I'm a big fan of. I think everyone should check it out. And I'll be dropping, I'm going to drop a lot of links into the notes at the end of this podcast so members of our forum can check all these things out. But how did you get into the YouTube scene? How did you get into making these videos? And you're you're very prolific. You're doing several a week. Um, What got you started doing that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I've been doing YouTube for about a year and a half now. And a couple years ago, I just saw that streaming and recording chess YouTube videos was uh, kind of blooming a little bit. And there were a few guys out there who I knew of previously that have been doing it for a long time. Guys like Chess Network, for instance, who many of your audience may know, Mm -hmm. makes high quality videos, has has been doing it for years and years. And as a chess teacher, I thought, hey, that's something I could do. And I had a little bit of downtime. I was taking a break from teaching for a couple of weeks, and I decided to download uh, some recording software and get started trying to record my own videos and recorded some Blitz games, which is very fast chess, five-minute games typically. And I found it to be pretty easy for me to narrate while I play and explain the strategy behind the moves and started putting them up on YouTube and uh, got a nice little audience going. And I kind of went and uh, built an even bigger audience from there. And one of the things you mentioned, which is uh, narrating your play while you're while you're in the middle of a games, uh, I play plenty of five minute blitz. Uh, I don't go into bullet, which is going to be uh, one minute or lower time controls. Uh, I can barely keep ahead of myself, fully concentrated on the game. And watching you is 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 mind blowing because you're giving these these cogent discussions and descriptions of why you're doing what you're doing and how you're doing it. 
And when you're talking and narrating, it's like time slows down. It's like that five minutes gets stretched into 15 minutes because I'm assuming that's practice, but that's that's one of the things that's really striking, I think, about your channel. Um, you're very well spoken, and then also your ability to do this under pressure, which granted the pressure for you is very low. Uh, it's very, it blows my mind every time I see it. I got to say, I'm by means uh, not the only person who can do this. There are a lot of guys who are streaming and um, doing Twitch and YouTube that can narrate their thoughts while they play even very fast chess. And you're right, it is an experience thing. I think having talked about chess for so many hundreds of hours, mainly in a teaching environment, uh, but also a lot of practice now with my videos, I think I have over a thousand videos. A good portion of them are these very fast time controls, blitz and bullet. And just doing that over and over and over again, you kind of, you can predict where you're going to say something and where mm -hmm. nothing needs to be said. And it's a, a little meta game in its own, uh, deciding what commentary to give on certain moves. As far as experience goes, how long have you been playing chess? I've been playing since I was in second grade. And I began playing tournaments in about fourth grade, I believe, which these days is actually very late for chess players. Uh, as you might know, chess players... Uh, get started younger and younger, it seems, and many of the best players in the world were child prodigies, and I was a good player as a kid, although I wouldn't characterize, characterize myself as a traditional chess prodigy, let's say, uh, but I was a chess master by the time I was 15. Okay, so chess master, and then we talked about international master, and uh, can you explain those titles a little bit? And those are, those are given by the governing body, the World Chess Federation, or FIDE, uh, in a different language. Um, what, what do those titles denote? Yeah, so the FIDE or the FIDE titles and ratings are internationally recognized. If you talk to a competitive chess player anywhere in the world and you tell them what your FIDE rating is, or you tell them if you have a title, what your title is, like International Master, uh, that's a, a baseline level um, of respect, if you will, that they'll grant you. Uh, we also have national ratings. Here in the U.S., we have U.S. Chess Federation ratings, which is a separate entity altogether. And when I say I made master at 15, I was a USCF master, 2200. So I was not yet FIDE ranked. I think I was on the border uh, between uh, becoming a FIDE master at the time, but uh, I was not quite a FIDE master then. So it's a little confusing. We've got these multiple rating systems in effect, but the FIDE titles are, are the big ones. Those are the ones mm -hmm. that everyone wants. And if you become a grandmaster, which is the highest title in chess, uh, that's a great thing. And, you know, every competitive chess players striving for that GM next to their name, the highest FIDE title. Okay. What's the, what's the process like? So you're international master, uh, one, one rank right next to grandmaster, uh, inevitably moving towards your, your GM ship. What's the process like for, for someone such as yourself to, to, uh, increase that level? Is it, is it tournament plays? Are there specific tournaments where you have to go to increase that ranking? How, how do you go about moving up in those ranks? Yeah, it's a good question. So to move from where I'm at to a Grandmaster, I have to bump my rating up a little bit. So my current rating is 2450 FIDE. And for a Grandmaster, the minimum rating is 2500 FIDE. So I have to get about 50 rating points. And you also have to earn these things called norms. And a Grandmaster norm basically denotes a strong performance in a long tournament, a tournament of nine rounds or longer, which I know some of your your gaming audience might kind of scoff at nine rounds. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in the chess world, nine rounds can take over a week to play if you're playing one game per day. A game mm -hmm. could last anywhere from you know two to six hours sometimes. So if you're playing a nine-round tournament, 
you're you're probably at the tournament site for a while. Uh, <laughs> if it's in a different country, you have to travel to it, and there's a lot of logistics that go into trying to compete at a high level in chess. And you have to earn three of these norms in order to become a grandmaster. Uh, and again, the the norm just denotes a strong performance, a performance of 2,600 or higher for that event. That sounds exhausting. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that sounds like quite a trial. I currently have one norm. Okay. And I've played many, many of these nine-round tournaments, just to put that in perspective. These sure. days, I only play maybe two or three of those nine-round tournaments a year. But uh, in all my tries at these norm tournaments, I've only earned one. And it's cumulative, right? You just have to get them at some point. Correct. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah, those tournaments, that sounds uh, grueling and a far cry from Bullet and Blitz Chess. Um, and I, th- I think we'll get into that a little bit later when we talk about actually playing as far as I think the pros and cons of these short, very short time control games and, and then the actual, you know, the benefits of over the board. Um I think a lot about how much time you must think about chess. So it's your full-time job. You've got this YouTube channel. I'm assuming you play for fun at some point because hopefully for you, it's still something you enjoy doing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. It, it, are there other things you do now? We're, we're a video game and strategy game, board gaming podcast. Uh, do, do you partake in any video games, board games, things like that? You know, I have to give a shout out to uh, a couple games that I played when I was younger. So okay. I used to be way into Age of Empires and okay. also Counter-Strike. Uh, Perfect. I spent many an hour playing those in high school, especially. And when I was even younger still, I, I played Magic the Gathering, and uh, I also dabbled in Star Wars cards, if anyone okay. knows about that game. Sure. Uh, so I do come from somewhat of a gaming background. I can't claim to be actively playing any of these games anymore, simply because chess is my main thing. And uh, I have lost interest in uh, other games over the years, but I definitely won't turn, turn down the, the chance to play it from time to time, you know, something other than chess, let's say. Well, for what it's worth, there's still a thriving Age of Empires and a booming Counter-Strike community in the world. So there's lots of people still playing. Um, there's new versions of both, actually, that are relatively recent. Um, Great to hear. Classic games. Yeah, yeah. And I think Counter-Strike, and there's a parallel I kind of want to draw here, and I think it's something that sort of speaks to our audience. There's there's parallels between games like Counter-Strike, um, chess, I don't know if you're familiar with League of Legends or Dota, yep. um, but those are games, Counter-Strike especially if you watch some of these players, they blur the line between um, something you do for fun and enjoyment and something that's a discipline. And I think anyone can play chess or Counter-Strike or, or either, you know, any of the MOBAs. Uh, I'll, t- I'll talk about Dota because that's the one I prefer. Um, there's, there's more to it than just playing it. And you can just play it and you can have a good time and have some laughs. But in each one of those games, there's uh, skill levels and there's kind of skill gates where you learn different parts of the game and you advance your knowledge of it. And this knowledge doesn't come just by playing the game. Uh, it comes by doing active research outside of the game, training almost. And there's a large group of people for whom, you know, let's say Dota, for example, um, it's a five-on-five game uh, where people yell at each other for 45 minutes. Uh, but th- the meta game is just ridiculous. The amount of strategy and tactics is ridiculous. It is a deep well. It is a wide well. It is as much as you want to put into it. And that's how I feel uh, it, it parallels in chess, right? No matter how much you know, there's more that you can know. The skill ceiling is effectively infinite. In a ways, it's a much more elegant game. It's a much more simple game. It's it's very straightforward. It's It's... It's probably, in my opinion, the 
like just simply the best game there is. Um, I'm sure somebody will chime in on the forums and talk about Go, but uh, I'm not as familiar with Go. So we're talking about chess tonight. But chess is, 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 is one of those things where there's, there's just so much you can learn. And every time you go into it, you can say, well, I'm going to work on this a little bit. And I'm going to work on that a little bit. Uh, the same thing in Dota. I'm going to work on last hits. I'm going to work on my item progression. I'm going to work on, you know, playing support. These are all things that, you know, in a normal game, if you're just playing Mario Brothers, you play Mario Brothers and you're done at the end. But these are games where there's there's discrete skills. There's discrete things that um, that people work on. And I, I, I think that's one of the, the main draws I have to chess. So I think that... Um, there's value in in channels like yours. I think there's value in the fact that there's a, a real wellspring around learning chess. Uh, the same that there is around. There's all sorts of tutorials and instructional videos, and uh, people love watching other people play Dota or League of Legends. Uh, but the same thing is happening in chess. So on your channel, you've got uh, videos of you playing Blitz and you're narrating that. But you've also got games where you're. Uh, I, I'm a fan of the moving up the, the the rating ladder where you play lower level players and you kind of say, well, okay, we're playing a 1200 rated player today. Here's some of the typical things someone at that rating might 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 slip up on, and here's how you can go about those things. And you've got uh, uh, ways you can help people learn in those. Um, how do you think YouTube has helped? Do you think YouTube has helped spur on learning about chess? I think prior to the to the YouTube boom on chess channels, it was mostly going to be uh, you know personal instruction or or chess books, uh, which can be dense and difficult to get through. But how do you think YouTube has helped uh, helped bolster the community of learning about chess and not just playing chess? Yeah, it's a great question because as a chess professional, uh, one thing that might get lost in the shuffle is. Uh, just how many people are chess amateurs? Like how many are just casual players out there who maybe have no intention of ever playing a chess tournament or getting involved in the chess scene? And there are a lot of people out there like that. And doing videos on YouTube has cued me into that fact. And I get messages all the time now in YouTube comments from people who say that they've watched my videos or they've watched other chess YouTubers and their videos. And it's kind of kindled this interest in the game. Uh, many people learned the game when they were a kid and for whatever reason, just put it down for a while. And I get a lot of adult viewers who comment and say, hey, like I've taken chess back up after 10 or 15 or 20 years away from the game. And I really enjoyed watching your channel and seeing the passion that you have for the game uh, after all these years. Because um, what you were speaking to earlier about uh, the universal appeal of some games, for me, chess is an amazing game because I've always felt challenged by it. There's always this underlying fascination with it even though I've played and studied chess for so many years, I constantly see new things uh, to improve upon or just little changes I can make in my thought process. Games that I think are really cool crop up all the time. You can always learn a different style of play from someone. So there's always some, some new fascination with the game. And it makes me feel really good when someone happens upon my channel and, and they express that. Or even if they don't express it, they just log on a server and start playing a chess game because they happened across, across some guy doing a chess YouTube video and they thought it was cool. Yeah, and I, I, I think you perfectly hit what I was kind of shooting at for, for the topic of the show is there's so many people who are familiar with chess and there's so many people who know how to play chess and uncle or your parent taught you when you were maybe 10. Uh, that's how I learned is my dad taught me when I was 10 and I've always known how to play chess, but it wasn't within the past couple of years that I started approaching it more with a more disciplined fashion. And um, that's one of the things I'm really excited about is that there's a lot of 
there's a lot of tools and channels like yours that are encouraging, you know, growth. It's saying, hey, don't just push pieces around. Let's let's take a a, a look at this and let's let's discuss why why we do what we do. Um, so your explanations, other YouTube channels, um, they're they're very helpful in encouraging the environment. Um, I think that the appeal of 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 Twitch and the appeal of YouTube is being able to watch cool people do cool things uh, and doing it well. And and there's you know the whole let's play culture around video games where people will watch somebody else playing and narrating a game. Um, and so among the multitudes of things that have helped, I think, get this resurgence going in chess, you know, there, there's there's uh, external factors such as the, the current competitive scene. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, different tools and sites and software that people can use. Um, but I wanted to touch on some of the other things that people are, are kind of drawn to in chess right now. And I think it's... Uh, I think it's hard to deny that Magnus Carlsen, who is the current world champion, has kind of done a lot to sort of bring um, the focus back to, or at least bring chess back into the spotlight a little bit. Um, if, if you're not familiar, Magnus Carlsen um, from Norway, he's 25. He is the current world champion at chess. He's been compared very favorably to some of the, the greatest chess players of all time. Um, and he is personable. He is um, someone who likes to go out and go on to talk shows. You can see him uh, playing Bill Gates uh, in, in Blitz Chess on some talk show somewhere. He's done modeling for things. And I think he's the closest thing to like the Bon Vivant Formula One driver uh, that chess is going to have. How would you characterize Magnus's impact on chess? Has it been positive? Do you think because he's a good-looking young kid that people are interested in him? Is he really, um, is he going to be like in the Fisher tier of, of all-time greats? Where do you think he stands, and how do you think he's helped uh, bring more eyeballs to the game? Yes, I definitely think Magnus's influence has improved the chess scene overall. Uh, even existing within chess itself and the way chess is played these days, mm-hmm. uh, which I'll maybe get into in a minute, uh, but I think we could do a lot worse as far as world champions go. I think when people think of chess, they think of old guys with beards in like a church basement or something, yeah. uh, grinding out games for hours on end, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe lacking some social skills and having a world champion who's kind of hip and yeah, good looking guy models for a clothing line, isn't afraid of going on talk shows. He's been on some mainstream ones here in the U S uh, that's just fantastic. And there's no doubt he's raising the profile of chess throughout the world. And uh, I think as far as where Magnus ranks in the discussion of the best players of all time, that's a very interesting question. Uh, the, uh, the, the Fisher boom back in 1972 and shortly thereafter when Fisher became world champion beating Boris Spassky uh, was something I've only read about in books because I was born in 1986, so well after the Fisher boom. Mm-hmm. But I think we are experiencing something of a mini boom in chess and I think some of it has to do with uh, Magnus, maybe the impact he's had. Uh, But I also think a lot of it has to do with the online culture, Uh, people playing a lot more, being a lot more connected these days. It's kind of incredible to think you're talking about how old chess is at the start of this broadcast, but it just amazes me that chess fits so well into the internet space. I mean, as an ancient game, it melds perfectly with uh, everyone being connected and playing online. And, um, I think that has helped a lot. And honestly, I think chess streaming and uh, having video resources out there, we're a little bit behind the curve and we're just now catching up. 
Uh, it seems like a lot of the gamers have known about this for a while, and um, gaming has been existing on the internet for uh, a long time, it seems now. But chess is just kind of getting caught up. And, you know, I wouldn't even have contemplated streaming chess five years ago. Sure. I don't know why exactly, because there were people, but not many. So now chess is emerging as a maybe a hipper game. There's lots of young people involved, even young professionals in their 20s. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to see the the growing chess culture that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it I think it took gaming to sort of pave the way. I think if chess if if chess tried to kind of if people were trying to push it a little bit earlier, um I I don't think it would have had the same traction as if it is now where you sort of have um you know Streaming kind of has its own um, set of norms, its own kind of language of how things go. And I think of channels like uh, the Chess Bras, uh, who, if you, were, if you were to tune into them, you would see almost exactly what you would see on any random League of Legends stream. It's a guy kind of slouched in his chair. There's faint house music playing in the background. Uh, the game is playing in, on the bottom left of the screen. And, and already people are like, hey, I know what's going on here. This is, this is Twitch. This is how gaming works. Um, so I think it, it fits in well uh, now that, that sort of video gaming has, has laid the groundwork. And I think what you were saying about fitting in nicely with online play is, 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 is critical to all of this. Um, I do get to play over the board sometimes. Uh, we've got about or five people or where I work. Um, and we usually take an hour over lunch, maybe once a week to, to play each other. Luckily we're all in roughly the same, uh, rating range. Otherwise it would get pretty boring. Um, but that's, it's hard to do, right? You have to get people in the same spot. We all have to be there. We have, it, it's, it's more difficult than just hopping on Lee chess and, and getting a game going. And I think that, you know, Lee chess specifically, um, especially if you go on to Reddit, which, First of all, I'd like to point out, I think Reddit has probably one of the better chess communities on the internet. I think it's really hard to find a decent chess discussion forum, and Reddit's format, for whatever reason, sort of plays really well uh, to that. Um, I don't know if you found the same thing, but I think that's a really good home base. If somebody wants to find out just what's going on, you know, the, the chess subreddit is a, there's, is a really good place to start. I agree 100%. Uh, that's actually where a lot of my videos started gaining traction pretty much any major thing going on in the chess world will be talked about instantly on the Reddit chess forum. So yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of that, that one little tiny sliver of Reddit. There's a lot of Reddit that's terrible, but that's, that's one of the better, um, subreddits, but, uh, they go crazy for a site called Lee chess. So there's, there's, um, many places people can play online. Um, I, I would guess two of the biggest, uh, for casual players would be chess.com, um, and Lee chess. There's also ICC, the internet chess server, and I think more serious players are going to be there because that, that's got a fair, not steep, but that costs money to play, right? Right. It's kind of an exclusive community where the lower-rated players might feel a bit out of place, but mm -hmm. they've had uh, the attention of the highest-rated players in the world for quite a while, and that's their chosen server for the past 10, 15 years. Sure. So I see, um, you, know, I see you, I see Chess Explained, I see all these other well-known YouTubers, uh, and they'll be like, oh, random game. Well, I'm playing GM so-and-so, uh, Grandmaster so-and-so, rated 24 whatever. Um, so high-level stuff. And in fact, I, I don't know if you had caught this yet, but apparently Magnus is playing on ICC under some name. I'm not sure how people yeah, figured it out. Yeah, I saw that in the ICC yeah. Open uh, a few days ago. Yeah, so there you go. Um, you want to talk about a playing field where any, you know, 
it's all it's all kind of level. Magnus, the best player in the world, he's on ICC. Yeah, I kind of wonder if that happens in the gaming community. Do people ever log oh, in yeah. under anonymous handles and just absolutely destroy everyone? And there's lots of discussion and rumors about who that person could be. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it happens a lot. You know, you'll you'll hear about it on let's say Dota, that one of the higher ranked competitive players is playing under so-and-so name. And then all of a sudden you wonder why the hell there's 1500 viewers on this particular game. But, but Lee Chess, so Lee Chess, L-I Chess.org, I think is another source of kind of excitement because for the past, you know, if you were to pick a random gamer who let's take, who we'll call our target audience, someone who knows chess, someone who has played chess and say, Hey, name, name a way you can play chess. They'll probably say, ah, chess master. Um, I had battle chess back in the day where the guys hit each other with swords. Um, and to be honest, not much has changed. Um, you've got some of the bigger chess engines and programs like, uh, Fritz and chess base. Um, but they're just kind of still doing their thing. Um, chess master died a slow, painful death a while back. Um, very I sad. I used to use that piece of software too when I was, a kid. uh, yeah, I loved, I love chess master. I still have my copy through Steam that will still fire up, but you can't like purchase anymore. Um, but the lessons in that were great, and also the uh, the the plain English uh, post game analysis, um, right. I thought was was really useful. Um, basically, nothing's happened. Um, you know, chess software was just kind of uh, always the same, and nothing's really. There's nothing to be excited about. Um, so you've got Lee Chess, and it's a it's a site where you can play online. It's got a ton of tools. It's completely open source. It's completely free. It's ad-free. Uh, it's maintained. Uh, well, it's maintained by one person, Tebow. I can't remember his last name at the moment, but uh, you know, he he points out in in his posts online that chess is very cheap. Uh, there's not much to it as far as data, things going back and forth. It actually turns out very reasonable to run a chess server online and. You know, via donations and via you know their small shop that they have, they can run this uh, elegantly designed, uh, good-looking, easy-to-use chess site. And what's crazy is they add stuff all the time. There's always something new that they're doing. Uh, they're adding new features. The analysis tools that they've put in there are incredible. Uh, the tournaments that they have, there's hourly tournaments and all sorts of different chess variants going on. There, there's something to be happy about. There's something that's like, hey. You know, there's there's new things going on, new tools that are being added all the time for free um, on this terrific site. Um, I know you play uh, all over. Um, what do you think about Lee Chess and where does it stack up as far as some of the other websites that you can play on? Yeah, I think you nailed it as far as Lee Chess goes. It's a beautiful site. Uh, I think if you know programmers out there, you'll love the site. It has tons of features. Again, they're adding constantly. And the stuff they roll out is just unbelievable and uh, their tournaments, especially, I know from tracking my own YouTube stats, the bullet tournaments that I play, so bullet, again, is one-minute games, very fast games. Those are my most popular regular videos that I post. And it's cool because they have, like, a countdown timer, as you've seen, yep. where you start with 25 minutes usually on the tournament clock, and it's just a race to see who can get the most points. Okay. And people are playing each other, and you can do this cool thing that, as far as I know, Lee Chess is the first one to do this. They have this berserk button. Yeah. You can choose to cut your time in half. So you're going from one minute to 30 seconds, 30 seconds to start the game. And if you win the game, you get an extra point in the tournament. And that element alone adds so much excitement to the game. You might get in a late tournament situation where the clock is running down and you know your only way to win the tournament is if you berserk a few games in a row and win them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as a streamer and someone who loves playing chess, it's just 
it's really cool to play those tournaments and uh, watch it all play out, really, and hopefully win it from time to time. I remember coming onto the store and seeing some some T-shirt or something about Berserking and, and seeing it mentioned in a forum post. I'm like, what in the holy hell does that mean? Because I thought I knew most about, you know, most things about the game um, and that particular element to it, because we can't change the rules of chess. Well, actually, we can, and I want to get into variants in a second, but in the main game, we can't change the rules of chess, but how the clock works uh, is, is very interesting. Um, and the Berserk, I think, was a really cool addition. I, if, if they are the first ones to do it, I think that was a really good contribution to the game. Yeah, and I, I got to give a shout-out to the Chess Bras, who you mentioned a little while ago, because they've done some crazy challenges where uh, this one guy, Eric Hansen, he's a grandmaster from Canada, mm. he'll cut his time down to 10 seconds. So he'll <laughs> go even beyond the 30-second Berserk, and he'll, he'll let his clock tick all the way down to 10 seconds, and then he'll try to bullet out the game, play as fast as possible, and checkmate the poor sap on the other end of the board <laughs> and he's yeah. often very successful at doing that yeah that's that's crazy um but it's great i'm happy that it's happening and it's sites like that that help us so one other thing i mentioned um and i want to go into briefly here is uh chess variance because i think that you know chess as a discipline is is a fixed game it's it's something that is is immutable and there's there's skills to be learned there but i also think that for me anyway it's helpful to occasionally dip into the chess variants. And honestly, the only time I think I've laughed out loud while playing chess is, is when playing atomic chess uh, on Lee chess, because it's just ridiculous. Um, if you're not familiar with chess variants, uh, there are different rules for the game that can be, uh, that can be applied. Uh, so let's take, um, I think the most famous is uh, Fisher random chess or chess 960. Um, one of the common pitfalls I think people have is they get, hung up once they move past what I think is intuitive chess uh, and into maybe prepared chess. Uh, and that's where opening theory uh, becomes really heavy. And maybe you see this as a chess coach, but I feel like people often get hung up on the opening as in, I'm a beginner, I want to start at the beginning, and that means I need to memorize openings. What Fisher Random Chess or Chess 960 does is it randomizes uh, the pieces so that they're in a different order, uh, up to 960 different uh, permutations, so that the opening book is completely out the window. Um, it, it, it brings it back to essentially just tactics and whatever strategy you can kind of come up with on the fly. Um, I think it's good every once in a while. Um, if, if somebody does it all the time and they love it, then hey, that's great. That's another person that's on, on a server playing. Um, but I think a thing that Lee Chess does is they keep adding variants. They add Crazy House, which I admit I don't understand. I know the rules, but I wouldn't even know how to approach it. Uh, there's one called Horde Chess, which actually is a horde mode, uh, which gamers might be familiar with that term, where there's just a storm of pawns on one end and uh, a limited piece selection on another. There's Racing Kings. Uh, there's just a whole ton, and it's stuff like that where um, I don't think they do that at chess.com. I don't think there are chess servers out there that have many of these games. You kind of have to do it on your own. So to have all those on hand is, I think, uh, is, is pretty darn cool. Yeah, chess.com does have some variants. Like, it has most of the ones you listed. Oh, okay. Uh, King of the, I think, uh, three checks they also have, where if you get three checks, you win the game. Okay. But I would say you're accurate in that Lee Chess seems to be the the site that's the most progressive about adding new mm -hmm. variants. Uh, do you find yourself playing many chess variants, or do you stick with traditional chess? You know, I mostly stick with traditional chess. I get a lot of requests for different variants, and I have made some Crazy House videos and... Uh, a chess 960 video or two but that's one thing i have on my to-do list for this year and 
we're already in June, so I better hurry up. But yeah. <laughs> doing some more variance videos because you're right. There's a whole range of variants that are pretty cool. Chess 960 really appeals to me because it is just regular chess, essentially, just as you said, without the opening book, the opening book completely thrown away. And what's interesting, chess 960 often, uh, the positions often end up looking like regular chess positions that you would get from the standard arrangement. So if you're good at regular chess, you're going to be good at chess 960. I can't say that about some of the other variants. Like uh, one variant in particular, I'm absolutely hopeless at. Mm -hmm. It's loser's chess. I don't know oh, if yeah. one before, sometimes yeah. called anti-chess, where yeah. you intentionally try to lose your pieces, and if your opponent can take one of your pieces, they must do that. Right. I am really bad at that game. <laughs> For yeah. whatever reason, I'm just terrible. Uh, the, the one I mentioned before, atomic chess, I just want to talk about or describe briefly. Uh, anytime a piece is captured, there's basically an explosion. Uh, the 9 by 9 grid it, centered on the, the piece that's captured. Any piece in there is is removed from the board. Uh, most games are over in a minute or less because there's sort of, at this point, there's a standard opening uh, where you have to defend against the Knights pushing out really quickly because in three moves, the game could be over. Um, but as I mentioned before, I think I, I enjoy playing chess, but I think the, the most raucous fun, if you can have raucous fun at a chessboard, uh, is playing uh, atomic chess on Lee Chess. Mm. So um, It's kind of cool I, to think how these variants, they... They basically just slide up and down the scale of strategy versus tactics, right? You can sure. kind of just tweak the strategy versus tactics balance and arrive at a variant. And uh, classical chess seems to be a perfect blend of strategy and tactics. I think that's why it's so appealing. But yeah, I agree. Some of these variants, like Crazy House, um, yeah. is one where it's almost pure tactics. Like there's nothing positional or strategic about the way you play Crazy House. Uh, some of the Crazy House purists and good players will disagree, but it's mainly tactics, how fast you can calculate combinations and get at the other opponent's king. Sure. C could you explain real quick the setup of Crazy House for the listeners? Because I think that's a new, well, it's one of the lesser known ones. I had no idea what it was till it showed up on Lee Chess. Um, so give us a quick rundown of that one. Yeah, so Crazy House starts with the same position as normal chess. And when you capture one of your opponent's pieces, so if I'm playing white and I take one of your knights, then that becomes a white knight. So I get to use that piece. It becomes a white knight, and I get to place it on the board. Okay. to help me and there's some rules about where you can place certain pieces like you can't place a pawn on the back row for instance uh, but you can place your pieces ideally in a aggressive fashion and try to checkmate your opponent quicker mm -hmm. so you've got pieces regenerating and coming back into the action and adding lots of tactical dimensions to the games uh, that you don't see in normal chess yeah it's uh it's fun to watch um, I've got to give it a shot one of these days, uh, but that's, you know, there, there's plenty to choose from, uh, lots to go into. Um, have you even, heard of the, the two person version of it too? There's also bug house, which is basically house, play yeah. with a partner and <laughs> yeah, pieces get passed back and forth between each other and, uh, you can try to cooperate and, uh, you know, get a piece from your partner that you can use on your own board. Yeah, and I I I remember seeing lots of requests for Bug House and uh Tebow basically said that the note there there's really no way to notate it or that the notation system would basically break how they It's probably they, a programming nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Um before, you know, I want to talk about some other cool things that are going on um in the the chess world, but I briefly want to touch on a couple other just cool pieces of software. I don't know how uh big you are into databases or how you think those are as a learning tool. Um but uh Skid Skid or Shane's Chess Information Database, I think is what it stands for. 
um, was a, a long-standing, freely available chess database program. Um, now there's an updated version called Skid versus PC, uh, which which I have. I think that's a great tool for managing your games, uh, reviewing old games, uh, studying through openings, and the databases are available online. And all a database is is the chess notation for a whole mess of games. And database programs can help you view the, 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 the branches of those games so you can see how these openings played out or how these specific games played. And I get a kick out of just going back and finding the oldest games I can and saying, how are people doing this in 1850 and, and, go, and going through those games. So I kind of, I kind of hoard games. I have an extremely large collection of them. And anytime I see them I, or an updated list, I grab all of them that I can. Um, do you see any value in, in database for learning or do you use that in your teaching at all? Do you find that that helps students or do you see it as more of a crutch where now they can see, well, I guess I'll just go by what the database says as far as what the, the, the quote unquote best move is? Yeah, no question. The databases are uh, one of the best tools for learning chess, especially for the more serious players. Mm-hmm. I think for the casual players, those who maybe have no interest in playing tournaments and aren't like striving to get better all the time, you probably won't get as much use out of a database. But I use databases in my own lessons. I use them for my own improvement, definitely. Mm-hmm. I use them to track and manage and analyze all my games. Uh, I, like you, pull games that I've seen in the past that I think are really cool and I want to save. In my... Uh, on my channel a few months ago, I actually reviewed a game from, I think it was 1857. Mm. And it was an 18-move draw played by these two guys in Austria. And it was such a fascinating game that people are even talking about it still today as one of the cool and craziest draws to ever occur. And um, again, that speaks to the heritage that chess has. Uh, <laughs> I don't know of any activity where you can look at something that happened you know, 150 years ago and still be pretty fascinated by it and still maybe identify with some of the decisions that were made by uh, the opponents. So being able to pull up those games in the database is such a cool uh, privilege that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the most impressive things about the game is is the the longevity, right? Uh, It's existed for hundreds of years before us. It's going to exist for hundreds of years after us. You know, you could go anywhere in the world and not speak the language and still be able to play chess with someone. Um, it, it's it's kind of a universal game. And um, I think that part of it, that, that's one of those things that I get a little, I start to wax poetic about how, how much I love the game. But uh, um, yeah, going back to be able to see how players did it a long time ago, um, I, I think is, is, is a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, people talk about players of the past and they try to categorize them into certain eras, much like you would art, for instance, like you had the romantic players, you had the hypermoderns, and you sure. can actually track the evolution of chess style through these games and these players of the past. Absolutely. And then you get into the discussions. It's a lot like a, a baseball discussion. So if you're into baseball stats, you say, well, what would Babe Ruth do today? Right. The game that Babe Ruth excelled at is, is much, 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 much different. Uh, than than what we're doing right now. So how do you correct for that? And there's always discussions about well, well, how how do you correct for some of these older players? And how do you, you know, what would what would this guy do uh, in, in modern times? What how would Morphe play uh, against Magnus? And people like to speculate on those things for hours on end. Yeah, um, and what's cool with the engines is we have an objective measure, aka <laughs> the engine evaluation. We have an objective measure of how these players of the past played. Sure. So even though we can't pit uh, a Paul Morphy against a Magnus Carlsen, we can run their games through the engine and see which one played more accurate chess. 
Yeah. And unfortunately for Paul Morphy, as great a player as he was, it's definitely Magnus Carlsen. The New yeah. players are tremendously strong. They've got all these resources available to them, obviously. Uh, but also these these older players, these players of the past, didn't play half bad. And I'm astounded in, in looking at some of their games, just how well they played with without knowing a lot about chess or having access to chess tools that we now take for granted. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Of, of these players in the past, if you had to pick either a favorite or someone that you identified with, or if you wanted to say to someone, hey, you know what would be really cool? Uh, go look at games played by blank. Who would, you, who would you kick players to for an example of maybe an older player that might be uh, interesting for, for players to learn from? I'd say go have a look at the games of Paul Morphy. He is probably one of the strongest players uh, born in the U.S. of all time. And he's kind of a guy who was just in the wrong era, unfortunately. So he was the best player in the world before they had official tournaments and official world championships. And he pretty much dominated the game for a short period of time. Uh, he was from Louisiana, New Orleans, and beat all of the best players in his area in the U.S. And then went to Europe and beat the best European players, many of whom were underestimating him. And he had this combinative style and this ability to calculate that was just unmatched at the time. And his games are complete barn burners. Like you go back and he just, he like blows people out in 20 moves and uh, often sacrificing his queen and chasing his opponent's king around the board. He would play odds games where he starts without a rook and beat people effortlessly. <laughs> yeah. And he ended up giving up chess at a young age, I think, because there was really nothing to challenge him um, and became a, a lawyer thereafter. So I'd say go take a look at Paul Morphy's games. Uh, last tool I want to mention, obviously, uh, you have your own website. So you are a chess professional. You do the teaching. You do the playing online. But you recently launched your own site called Chessable. Um, what is that site about? Yeah, so Chessable is a, a chess learning resource. It's a tool for people to learn uh, aspects of the game, especially openings. We're kind of an opening-centric site. Mm -hmm. So let's say if you want to learn the first up to 20 moves of a game, how the opening is played property, properly, Chessable would be a great tool for you. And it uses scheduling and spaced repetition, much like some sites use if you want to study a foreign language like Duolingo. Mm -hmm. And you can run through lines that people have uploaded, so opening lines and repertoires that people have created on how to play certain openings. Let's say you, know, you want to learn the Sicilian defense. And you have these set of lines that you want to understand and commit to memory. And Chessable helps you do that. And we also have classic games that you can take a look at on there. Uh, end games. There are certain end game positions that any good player wants to know and uh, memorize. And our site is great for that. So I'd encourage you to check it out. Yeah, I've taken a look at it. Um, it's a lot of fun. And I thought the interesting part you mentioned is uh, that players or users can upload their own, um, their own basically sessions of study. So, you know, you can see one player's take on the Sicilian, or you, you have your own signature uh, Scandinavian that you're you're, you're known for, not the Sicilian, but the Scandinavian <laughs> that you're known for. The Scandinavian, uh, yes. Yes, the Scandinavian. Um, so, you know, you can go look at John Bartholomew's uh, method to the Scandinavian. And, and I think that's really cool that there's that kind of, uh, that that's another method of sharing, right? That's another way of expanding our shared knowledge of the game. Yes, and openings have always been popular to study. And for a long time, there wasn't a tool, uh, a way to do that properly. And I'm not going to say Chessable is the, the end-all be-all of studying chess uh, openings properly. I mean, I think we have a ways to go. We can definitely make the site better, but it is a convenient way for people to get a good, solid repertoire and understand the ideas behind it, too, in addition to memorizing it. Yeah, and and so I, you know, we didn't get too much 
in deeply into playing chess and I didn't want to get too bogged down into, um, into, into some of the more arcane details of it, but, um, you're a chess professional and I just want to ask for the type of player that we're talking about today, who, who knows the game and, and wants to get better. Obviously each person has different strengths and weaknesses and, and different things, but w- what would you say is, uh, both a common trap for players who, 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 who want to get better, but they might fall into a specific habit. And then what are some really baseline things that people can do to start maybe their own study program uh, as far as improving their game beyond just playing game after game after game after game? Right. So I would say that a trap I see with my students and lots of other players who are new to the game is they have this idea in their head that they're going to study chess for a long time and get really good at it just passively without really playing many chess games. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely the wrong way to, to go about it. You know, you're going to learn the most from getting your butt kicked, jumping in there, playing serious games. And I would define serious games as 15 minutes per side or longer. Okay. I would stay away from the blitz and the bullet games that we were talking about. Even though those games are the most popular online, if you're new to the game, you're not going to get a lot of improvement out of those. It's just too fast. You're only going to be able to come up with superficial strategies and you're going to be blundering left and right. Sure. So you need to play standard games, these 15 minute games or longer. And take them seriously and try to improve and look at the games afterwards. Uh, try to analyze them on your own, like replay the game and see where you could have improved. You'll probably mm-hmm. be able to spot the turning points in the games. Use the engine. So analysis tools available on sites like chess.com and Lee Chess. Use the engines, but don't let the engines do all the thinking for you. That's another trap that people fall into. They say, oh, like this chess engine, Stockfish, it's going to tell me the best move in every situation. So let me just plug in my game here after the fact, and it's going to show me exactly where I went wrong. Well, that's a powerful tool, but it's a really bad way to improve because you're completely taking out the active learning part of it. And right. just like anything, if you want to get good at an activity, you have to embrace active learning. Like passive learning is not enough if you want to make improvement. So play lots of serious games, take the time to analyze them. I have some series on my channel where I talk about uh, specific advice for new players. There's one series called Chess Fundamentals. And yes. I believe there's four videos in that series. The very first video in that series is on undefended pieces, which is a huge problem that lower-rated players have. Basically, lower-rated players are not capable of playing many moves in a row without just flat-out hanging a piece, like giving away a rook, giving away a knight. And to get good in chess, you have to cure that um, and really get a handle on the blundering because those are just free opportunities you're giving away. So I'd say take a look at that series, but mainly mm-hmm. play games on your own and... Um, if you have someone also who's a slightly better player than you that can kind of mentor you, uh, or if you even want to hire a coach, that can get you on the right track even faster. Yeah, that's that's great stuff and exactly what I was looking for. Um, I think as far as engine analysis, it's really easy to do. You know, on Lee Chess, you can upload a separate game that's stored in a PGN file, or just as soon as your game's over, you can go and analyze it. Uh, it makes a terrific little graph that shows you up and down whether you, you know, where, where did the position change the most? Was this considered a mistake, a blunder, an inaccuracy? Um, very useful tool, but like you said, always make sure you go through it on your own first and then kind of check, use the engine to check your work, right? Uh, yeah, Chess has this stat called average centipon loss, which sure. basically tells you how far your, your move deviates from what the engine recommends. And people will get so wrapped up in, oh, what's my average centipon loss? They want to get it as low as possible because that's the yeah. lowest deviation from the engine. But uh, yeah, don't worry about that too much if you're a, a lower rated player. Sure. Um, and even at higher rated players, the like the, the highest. So when you're 
the, the really big games, you've got kind of live things going on and people entering the moves as they happen into the engine and saying, oh my gosh, you know, it's two tenths like the wrong way. Like, what is he thinking? And, you know, it's, well, he knows what he's doing. They're, they're professionals for a reason. Yeah, that it's, reminds me when uh, people watch my videos and they say, you know, when you're playing and you're explaining, like everything seems so clear. Like I could see myself making a lot of these moves that you're, you're seeing. Yeah. And then they go on to say, but when I play my own games, it's like a completely different game and I'm completely at a loss as to what to do. I have no bearings. Yeah. And uh, I think that speaks to what you just mentioned about the difference between theory and practice, you know, watching someone play versus actively, actively throwing yourself into the position and trying to come up with a solution. Yeah, I had a uh, calculus teacher in college who called it the doorway principle, uh, where when I'm standing there with him and going over problems and he explains this, this, you know, deeply technical thing, and it makes perfect sense. And he says, yes, you understand it here because you're talking to me now. And as soon as you walk out that door, it's all gone, right? You're going to get to wherever you're going and it's not unless you go through and, and, and prepare for that. That's a great analogy. Yeah. Okay, so I would be remiss. There's one last topic I want to touch on. Um, another thing I'm excited about, it's related to both the YouTube channel and I think the sort of chess community. And I think it's just an interesting, it's kind of an oddball story, in my opinion. Um, it's it's about St. Louis and the St. Louis Chess Club. If you, when I sort of got back into chess a few years ago and I started watching videos online, people would be like, oh man, there's a new St. Louis Chess Club video out. And I thought to myself, well, that. That's great. Do we get excited about Omaha Chess Club? Do, like, why, why, why does this matter? Um, and as it turns out, uh, St. Louis, uh, through the through the um, the donations of a, a rich benefactor of the arts, has has rapidly become the chess capital of the United States. Have you been following the sort of development of what's coming out of St. Louis? Yes, and not only have I been following it, I've uh, been privileged to actually play at the club and visit the club many times, and. Uh, you're right. Rex Sinkafield is the name of the guy. He's a, a billionaire, a little billionaire. Billionaire. Yep. And he basically decided uh, he wanted to build a top-flight chess club in St. Louis. I think St. Louis is his hometown, and he decided he wanted to make chess big in his city and his state, Missouri. And about ten years ago, they established the club, and the club has just been a godsend for U.S. chess. Mm-hmm. And now increasingly for international chess too. So the St. Louis chess club hosts the U S championship, uh, the open and also the women's event. It hosts norm events. It has exhibition matches with the top players in the world. Uh, it has the sink field cup, which features, uh, several of the very, very top players in the world, including the past guys like Magnus Carlson. Mm-hmm. And it's just incredible what they've done. Uh, they have a lot of outreach, and you can tell by some of the, the lectures they have on their YouTube channel, which they add to frequently, that uh, they get in top players all the time to give lectures on various things and impart their chess wisdom for free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ben Feingold is one of my personal favorites. Uh, he's a regular contributor to the lecture series there. Uh, and they're all top shelf. And I have to ask, so if, if you've been there, is it as nice as it looks in the pictures? Because I've only seen pictures. Yeah, it's really nice. It's in a nice part of town, great building, spacious. It's everything you would want in a chess club. Yeah. As I understand, they even annex some space uh, next to the chess club, too. And I think they're converting some of that into even more chess facilities. Well, that's terrific. And that's just another one of those kind of it's not a random thing, but it, it's it's not some it's unexpected. Right. You would expect that, um, you know, in, in some of the major cities and hubs and there are chess clubs there and, and things that could rise out of that. But no, some billionaire who also, you know, 
donates to the opera and the, and the symphony and is, is, is a literal patron of the arts, has decided and succeeded in making uh, St. Louis our chess capital. To the point where I think even there was uh, one of those bills, one of those things in the Senate where they officially declared St. Louis is the chess capital of the U.S. Uh, so there, yeah, so there, there's some weight behind that. Um, but I thought that uh, there's a there's an interesting piece in the New Yorker that I'll link to uh, that kind of goes over the progression of how that happened and how those things uh, how that came about. Um, but uh, you know, as far as other things to be excited about, uh, the World Chess Championship is happening this year in the United States. Uh, it's happening in New York. I believe that is in November. Um, so if you are local to New York, uh, I don't know how you get to go about going to that, but if you can, uh, check it out. I mean, it, it, it's a cool thing that it's happening here. Um, Magnus Carlsen is uh, defending his championship uh, against a Russian player whose name I'm pulling up now. Sergei Karyakin. Thank you. I'm glad you said his last name first. An American player, uh, Caruana, almost got the chance to to take Magnus on in the title, but uh, he didn't quite make it this year. Yeah, which was a shame because Fabiano Caruana is probably the strongest player behind Magnus at the moment. He's been playing exceptional chess, and uh, even though this other guy, this Russian player, Sergei Karyakin, qualified, he had to win the Candidates Tournament to do so. Caruana was right there, and uh, I think is just a flat-out better player than Karyakin at the moment, but... The, the chess candidate cycle is brutal and it takes a long time to qualify for the world championship. You can do almost everything right in chess and still not make it to play in the world championship. It can all come down to one game or one move. Man, the, the high level of chess just sounds so intense. Um, hats off to everybody that can play at that level. It's, it's a battle of nerves. Definitely a battle of nerves at the highest level. Absolutely. I think that kind of wraps up where all the things I wanted to talk about, and hopefully I've been able to uh, to convey the fact that I'm excited about chess. John, everything you do conveys that you're excited about chess, and I want to get more people uh, into it. So if, if, if people want to learn more about it, definitely check out a bunch of the links that I'm going to drop in the forum. And um, a- any other last parting words for people that are words of encouragement for people to, to kind of just, just dive head, headlong back into this? Yeah, I just wanted to say, reaching out to all the gamers out there, if uh, you've dabbled in chess before and maybe wrote it off in the past, or if you have an interest in chess, I would highly encourage you to uh, go on, play one of these games on Chess or chess.com and uh, see how you like it again. Because I was watching a, a League of Legends documentary. I know you mentioned League of Legends earlier. Sure. And on Netflix, I watched this documentary and uh, that, that, that fascination I see when I look at like, a really intense League of Legend gamer mm-hmm. and seeing all the stuff that's going on on the screen. Yep. Uh, that reminded me of the first time I saw a chess position and a chess game being played and being like utterly confused, but still really curious at the same time. And I know people out there who love games. You will love chess. Trust me. It's like the perfect blend of strategy and tactics. And uh, yeah, if I hold, haven't sold the game at this point, uh, I don't know what else to tell you, but <laughs> go play some chess. Yeah, I, I think you've got it in a nutshell. Uh, listeners, Three Moves Ahead is hosted by the Idle Thumbs Network, and you can find more great shows like it by visiting us at idlethumbs.net. We have a message board there for the show, so please drop us a post and let us know what you thought. If you enjoy the show, you can support us by heading over to patreon.com slash 3MA uh, and hitting the donate button over there. Donating gets you access to special Q&A shows. We have one of those coming up and the ability to vote on our monthly user-selected topic. Speaking of which... Uh, the Endless Legends show is still happening. We promise. 
Rob absolutely 100% guarantees that it's going on. Uh, in the next two weeks, uh, Hearts of Iron 4 has just come out, so that's going to be a topic, and Endless Legend is going to be the other. So it's it's the next week following this show or the week after that, and I, if that doesn't happen, by all means, bug Rob on Twitter. Uh, let him know what you think about that. Um, John, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for um, having me. I really enjoyed it. I, I, everyone should go to YouTube channel. Everyone should check out Chessable. And uh, I just appreciate you you taking this evening by our, our emails and your schedule. You're apparently night owl, so this worked out great. Uh, but I'm glad you could come on the show. Yeah, thanks again. All right. On behalf of John Bartholomew and Three Moves Ahead, this is Michael Hermes saying goodnight.